everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 67. Welcome back. Today I'm speaking with Jorge Perdomo, co-founder at Gotenna, and also the designer behind the art installation, The Fluffy Cloud, which has made appearances at multiple festivals, including Burning Man. We discuss the challenges surrounding starting a hardware company, what people can do to increase their marketability in the workforce, and what it's like to attend Burning Man. Enjoy. I'm here with Jorge Perdomo. Yes, that's correct. You did not mishear me. Uh, Jorge <laughs> actually grew up in Brazil, so he pronounces it the uh, Portuguese way. So welcome, Jorge. You're the uh, co-founder and uh, chief technical officer at a company called Gotenna, which creates yes. a hardware. It's a hardware company. You've created um, mm-hmm. products essentially that help people who are off the grid or in uh, you know, locations that just don't have, uh, traditional cell signals and things like that. So that, so people can get, uh, commu- can communicate and get online and you create these, uh, little antennas that we'll talk about that are super cool. So welcome to the, uh, podcast. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So the first thing that I always like to do with, with everyone who, who's on this, ep- uh, on the, on an episode of Techie Bytes is just kind of get a feel for who you are and what you do on a day-to-day basis. What is what is your day look like and and how did you get to kind of where you're at right now? Yeah, I mean, my days are a little unusual at this point. So um, I wasn't, so I'm not, I actually left Gotenna full-time about a year and a half or so ago. Um, mostly with the company had been, had matured quite a bit. Uh, we're almost at a hundred, you know, employees at the time I decided to kind of, you know, it's actually very common for a technical co-founder, like after all the products are kind of done and you sort of go into this scaling sales phase, yep. things start to slow down a little bit. And I had this kind of big idea for this new, like, um, art concept entertainment thing for, for Burning Man and, you know, post got really excited about it. And like other kind of inventor co-founder type people, I sort of moved on for doing that. So, you know, for the last year I was building that project and I debuted it at Burning Man last year. And then, you know, I was actually planning on doing a whole kind of world tour with that, you know, art piece, but uh, coronavirus hit. So (laughs) everything's a little bit, everything's a little frozen now. Um, But you know, I guess like, and since I do live nomadically, a lot of times I'm kind of just exploring new cities and whatnot. So you know, right now, because of the coronavirus situation, you know, to answer your question about, you know, kind of like, what's my day like? Um, well, I, I think it's important to always kind of keep like a regular schedule, particularly if somebody who does have freedom or you're working from home or like a lot of us right now working from home is like not let, you know, that freedom get to your head and, you know, start working odd hours of the night and getting out of sync with the world. So I try to still wake up at a regular time. I still try to do all my emails. I try to make sure I'm not doing really social stuff until, you know, I almost imagine like I'm in an office at all times. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah. No, like, no it does. Really- it does. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense because I'm actually very much the same way. I've, I've been working from home for quite some time, even before Corona. Um, and I, I like it a lot, but you do have to, I found, I found for me, and it seems like for you as well, that creating some kind of structured environment uh, that you can kind of, you know, use to, Make sure you're getting what you need to get done. Otherwise, sometimes people, like you said, can get sidetracked or distracted, uh, you know, with everyday things that happen. You know, people coming to the house, uh, watching TV or playing video games or whatever. Um, exactly. So I, yeah, so I, I, found, I found it to be very helpful to create kind of like a structured day and kind of figure out, all right, so you're going to wake up, like you said, at normal or you're going to eat breakfast. You're going to, you know, 
do whatever you want to do in the morning to prepare for your day. And then you should pretty much start, you know, around the same time every day. So for me, I've picked 10 a.m. as my like starting time at, at the very yeah. latest, you know, like that's when I want to start by. Um, yeah, so it totally makes sense. Especially if you have your own projects, you know, whether again, whether it's your own tech startup or if you're doing like something new, like in my entertainment art space, when you have that freedom, you, it's not really freedom. It's like almost this extra pressure. You don't have anyone to like tell you, hey, you need to do this. So you just have to be really, really disciplined about telling yourself and like not letting yourself slip up, which is sometimes pretty stressful. But, you know, I do find it hard to relax sometimes. But I think that's pretty common for founders. Yeah, definitely. I, I've been there, too, um, where, you know, there there was there was times in my life where all I did was work, especially if I worked from home, because you can't that line of distinction between work and home is no longer there, right? It's you're, yeah. you're, you're at home, but you're also at work now. So when do you, when do you kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, get off the clock? You know what I mean? Um, exactly. Yeah. So I totally can relate to that. And I think have, so what, what kind of, what kind of things have you done to, uh, to make sure that, you know, you, you do take, you do step back and you take time, uh, for yourself to just, you know, either decompress or, uh, or whatever the case is, I get what have you done to, to kind of do that? I try to be pretty intense about giving myself the weekend now. I didn't have it mm -hmm. for a long time. And like, like, you know, it's, it's, I really try to like turn off the emails a little bit on weekends, but it, it's hard. I'll be honest if uh, I'm not your role model for, uh, for relaxation. <laughs> I'm, if you want, you know, neurotic neuroticism and high and and like over pressuring yourself to work that's me i'm here yep um <laughs> but, you know i don't know i guess it's 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 kind of comes with the territory um but i think just blocking off those sections of time and telling yourself like all right i'm working 10 to 7 or 10 to 8 and you know after this time it's okay to watch some netflix or do something else or play some video games and just completely turn my brain off i do like to play video games a lot like what, you know what some, kind of games you, like, what kind of games are you into i because it's oh, funny because i i I, you know, we were talking about, about uh, you know, just now about stepping back and, you know, you know, spending some time to just kind of decompress. And like, I just recently, like within the past few months, got back into video games after like a very long break from when I don't know, I must have been like 13 or so <laughs> to, 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 to 30, basically, where I didn't really play them. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious what you play because that because. Uh, I'm I like as someone who's getting back into them. I'm always looking for new stuff. I'm sure our audience is as well. Yeah, I like RPGs. Uh, like anything where you're kind of like leveling, leveling up your character, and you're kind of following stuff. Like God of War is is freaking amazing. As is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is also un that's probably the best game I've seen in decades. Actually, if someone wants one recommendation, Horizon Zero Dawn is un godly believable. God of War is also really good too. So yeah, basically, like I'm not into like the shooters and stuff like that. I like something where it's almost like you're watching a movie, right? You're, mm -hmm. you know, like, it's hard for me to disengage my brain because I'm just usually, I'm always thinking. I'm always like, what can I do next? What's going on? What's this? And like having like a story told to me in many ways, like a movie or one of these things. I think that's a great way. For, if you're one of those people that's maybe listening, you find that you're someone that like has a really hard time, you know, even when you're hanging out with friends at a bar or doing something to like stop thinking about you know work or something else that's concerning you. I think. Finding things with storylines that, you know, kind of enthrall you is usually pretty good. And, you know, I sometimes watch some TV too. Westworld is amazing. And, you know, other mm -hmm. things with plot like that. That's, that's all I've really found that can really, really take my mind off of things. 
that that's 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 funny. Like I'm sitting here, I'm raising my hand. Like you can't obviously you can't see me, but I'm I I I I I, I, I totally can relate to what you're saying in the sense my brain is cons- consistently running all the time, and I'm always trying to figure out like what I'm gonna do next, how I'm gonna approach this, how I'm gonna you know you know do this and that, and so I totally get that, and I and I found that TV movies and now video games have actually uh it's it are definitely one way that you can kind of uh you know just take your take your mind to a different kind of place right so making it you know uh kind of in a way because it's and it's positive for you because you you do need i found uh to give your 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 brain a rest right you need you need to kind of stop because sometimes stepping back also then gives you more perspective when you come back to it for sure yeah yeah no it's it feels good turn off for a little bit definitely so let's talk a little bit about why when you uh why and when you co-founded uh gotenna um, sure and yeah so I, I guess let's start with why and when like uh talk a little bit yeah. about that yeah of course so the idea for gotenna came to me in uh, the summer of 2012 um so i always used to go to all I'm, I'm a big music fan and i would go to a lot of like music festivals and different kinds of events like that and although the problem isn't as acute anymore, back then it was impossible to get cell service when you had like that many people in an area. And I would always get split up from my friends and I want to find them and I couldn't find them. It was such a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I don't know if I can say that, but um, you're okay. Basically, basically, I, you know, and this is something like I had a problem, you know, I wanted to find a way to find my friends out in the, you know, in the world when there wasn't any cell service. And I tried a bunch of other little things. Like I tried like Bluetooth enabled things. I tried doing um, like walkie talkies and they just didn't work. They weren't good because it was too loud. You can hear people, you know, you can find people on a map. I really just wanted, you know, basically iMessage and Google Maps offline. And it was really that's and I, and I really do think that that's usually when entrepreneurs and other people come to me and they're kind of like telling me about their ideas or a lot of times I hear people saying like, oh, I just want to start my own company. The very first thing I tell people is like, look, you don't want you don't want to start a company, okay? <laughs> like I feel like that's the wrong thing to get into it. If you're just like looking to start a company because it seems glamorous or something, like first thing I'll tell you is like it's not. It is it's, absolutely not. <laughs> it, is a, it is a lonely hole of work and pressure and stress. I have so much gray hair and I'm only 32. Um, like <laughs> I've been lucky into- on that front where I I, I have not had any. Gray- My wife is like so mad at me because I, I don't have any and I, I'm, I'm like I, and I'm usually I, you know I've, I've been pretty high stress environment for a lot of my life and I still don't have any gray hair but besides but that's besides the point right now but yeah um, maybe I got, maybe the genetics on me my parents have a lot of gray so but maybe. like look the thing is for me is like I like it's I think it's about solving a problem like mm-hmm. I think that the best startups the best products the best ideas come because someone passionately has a problem and then you recognize that that might be a problem that other people have too. And if you can think of a solution for that problem, then there you go. And like that could be, you know, a product or a company. So essentially, I, you know, that idea came to me then and then, it, you know, kind of in the middle of, uh, of, you know, the summer 2012. And then I, you know, kind of, you know, started talking to my sister about it. I wanted her to come in and join it. And, you know, after having a lot of conversations about it, like, you know, she wasn't really convinced for a while. And I'd already kind of done a lot of the technical due diligence and then basically Hurricane Sandy hit and it became like very, you know, salient for people, you know, beyond just me 
that there was a lot more than just music festivals in this, that it's also, you know, for disaster preparedness. It can also be for, you know, public safety, you know, all sorts of different applications. And that's really where it came from. So it started It started because I just wanted to solve a problem for something that was in my life. And yeah, we, you know, we basically incorporated the company at the beginning of 2013. And... There you go. You know, we, we, you know, we, uh, we did like a little small friends and family round, you know, just like, you know, like, you know, like in the five digits. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and we did that and we were able to kind of hire a contractor to just build like a little prototype for us. Like I kind of architected how it was supposed to work, but you know, we then got somebody that, you know, actually knew how to, you know, solder, you know, solder all the cables and all those things and, built a little prototype that showed that we could at least execute. And then we used that to then raise our seed round. And from that point on, you know, that's, it was, you know, another six years of an incredible amount of work to get there. Um, had so, you had yeah. any experience building hardware, uh, before, before no, this? No, I did not. And that's actually like a question I usually get. One of the most common questions I get are like, Oh, what did you study in school? Or, you know, did you do this before? And that's the funny thing. I actually didn't. Um, I did, I mean, look, I was always a tinkerer when I was like a kid, like I was making like rockets and cannons and generally being a menace to society, uh, <laughs> my backyard ever since, since I was growing up. And I've like, just always been very technical and like loved science fiction and fantasy and reading random stuff on Wikipedia, like going into like curiosity holes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I didn't, so that, even to this day, like. I'm look, I'm actually now very, very educated in electromagnetics and hardware and supply chain, all things that require us getting there. But the truth is like, you know, I was the, you know, kind of the, the product leader, you know, the technology leader, because like I had enough facts across different, you know, different knowledge across different, you know, um, call it, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Like just areas. <sighs> areas. Yeah. All right. Fine. Yeah. Right. We can go with uh, that. <laughs> And actually, you know, I worked with some fantastic engineers that were subject matter experts in their areas. And my job was really to kind of guide the ship and, you know, ask good questions. You know, like a lot of times, like I would have them explain to me, like, hey, why can't we do this? And a lot of times, you know, they, you know, I'd have basically that was the beginning of a crash course in, you know, antenna theory or it's a crash course in battery power management or something like that. Mm-hmm. And many times. You start getting kind of told that story if you're, you know, if you're a curious person and you listen well and you also do some of these other research, sometimes you can find things that are assumptions that are not necessarily like, hey, this is how it has to be, but they're more like assumptions or just, you know, how things are usually done. And if you're just kind of like asking questions, like, well, couldn't we do it this way? A lot of times the, the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is like, wait a second, we never thought of it that way. And it requires that kind of outsider perspective into you know some technical things and you can come up with some really really interesting stuff and that's actually really what happened with Gotenna is that you know the reason no one had really built anything like what we had done before is because every other radio because it's really like it's you know fundamentally it's like a mesh networking radio like walkie-talkie type system but the reason it's so much smaller lighter and you know it's you know kind of has grown so much particularly in the government markets is because we didn't try to do everything that everyone else was. We kind of redefined and asked the question of what does a radio system like this have to do? And instead of saying, you know, normally everyone was like, hey, it has to do voice, it has to do video systems, it has to do all these things that are like legacy. And we, you know, really like my vision there was like, hey, look, we don't have to do everything. Why don't we just specialize and just do one little thing? 
like these messaging and location and these kind of critical safety type operations. And by right. doing that, the, the insight I had was that we basically radically reduced the amount of power we were using. And by reducing the power you're using, that means you have like less batteries, you have less weight, it's smaller, it's lighter, it's cheaper. Next thing you know, you have this system that does, you know, maybe 98% of what somebody wants from a functional perspective, but you're doing it like at a fourth of the, you know, a 40th of the size and the weight and the cost of anything else that's out there. And then you create something radically new. So what I like to kind of always tell people is that, look, you don't have to be a hardware engineer or something like that to create a, you know, an invention or bring something to the table. Like you have to you have to surround yourself with great people. It's the team that you build around you. So, you know, for anyone listening, if you have like some like, you know, invention idea or something, you know, a little trinket or something you want to do, you know, just because you haven't done it before, you're not an engineer, does not mean you can't do it. You might have to find some really critical partners and other people like that to fill in the gaps in your knowledge. But I was not a hardware person. I was a first time founder doing a hardware company, which means we made a ton of mistakes, but you know, and we had a couple of close calls that were, you know, Gotenna may not exist anymore today if things had gone, you know, left instead oh, of right. Yeah. But uh, we made it. <laughs> we got we got lucky. We got fortunate. It is, I think, the good word. We got fortunate more than a couple times, and you know, that's always an important part of creating a successful company. It's hard work, but you also got to get lucky a few times. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, and I think that that's definitely true. Uh, you know, no matter what kind of company, whether it be a software, hardware, or if you're doing a mix of both, um, tell us a little bit about some of some of the mistakes that were made along the way and kind of what you learned from them. Uh, like, is there a specific mistake that comes to mind where, um, I, I guess even one like where where you where yeah. you were unsure of the future of the company, like how like what what would happen and and what what did you, what like what did the mistake cost you? Oh God, there's so many of them. I got to think back to some of the bigger <laughs> ones. Um, like, okay. So there was one, I mean, honestly, one of our biggest mistakes was just that like, quite honestly, no one in the team, even our head hardware guy, the, which was actually our first contractor really had any RF experience, which is, mm. which is just crazy. <laughs> like we never really hired an actual RF expert to like our second gen product or something like that. Um, and I think there was like, and that's where we got really, like, we just, we really, we thought that we could kind of like make antennas a lot shorter. We thought we kind of, all the science was correct. Theoretically, like, you know, Hey, if we're using, you know, a higher frequency, sorry, a lower frequency, uh, radio system and with higher power, it's going to give us better range, mm -hmm. which according to yeah. Wikipedia and everything else sounds like it should be that way, except for. You know, we didn't know jack about antenna design, and we tried to and we tried to like outsource that, and we didn't. You know, we were pushing the limits too much of what and radios could really do, and we also thought that we would be able to get like an FCC exemption to be able to mesh network. Look, the point is, our first product, it was good, it worked. We almost shipped it though without having tuned the antenna correctly because we just thought that's as good as it got, and it was only through like luck where one day I was out, you know, testing this thing in Rockaway Beach in the negative 20 degree in February. And <laughs> we, like, there was one day where we got really good range and we started moving towards, you know, shipping the product. And I just, like, decided one day, like, I just want to go double check if we get this again. And we realized, and we couldn't replicate those results ever. And it took us another six months of tuning to figure out that we had, like, we just hadn't correctly, you know, 
post put this like one little resistor on the hardware. And if we hadn't done that, our product would have had like a quarter of the amount of range and we probably would have gone out of business. It was just, we didn't have good QA. I think that was one of the biggest things that we, that I had to learn is that like a lot of times startups are so focused on development, 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 especially as a first time founder, you you want to get more engineers to create, create, create. When the truth is is like, if what they create isn't really, really, really well, you're going to, it's not going to work. So, you know, we really have like a QA department and we weren't really like integrated testing stuff till way too late. And that was just a huge mistake that like I put on myself and just kind of a lack of experience. Um, And then there's just a lot of other little things where like you, you know, I don't know, like, I mean, I, I almost, almost because I was pressured so much by customers. So many people were asking, Put, you know, we want voice, we want voice, we want voice. And like when a customer, especially when government customers are telling you they want something, it's hard to say no to a customer. Yeah. But, and I feel like if I had said that, we could have added that feature in a certain way, but then like the entire product would have like fallen apart at its core. And that's one of the things I also kind of tell people that are going into product design is that like, look, to be a good product designer, it's easy to say yes to people, but to like be really great, you have to know when to say no. You Absolutely. need to know balance the required because a lot of times customers say I want this feature but they don't know that it might sacrifice on the other seven features that they're already happy with and it's your responsibility to try to educate the market and educate people about like hey look maybe you don't really want this you understand this thing here and there so that was kind of like almost a you know again almost a mistake I made but I don't know there's a lot of little ones there's a lot of little things where like we ordered a rev but we rushed it too much and then all of a sudden we lost like two months of development time because that's how long hardware takes like every time you mess up with hardware there goes like two months of runway you know fifty thousand dollars in supplies and it's, it's not like a bug patch you can do so it's really 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 high stress definitely I mean, definitely I, I i've only built software in the past and but i can tell you that I, as a as a as a as a founder, uh, I spent a crap load of time doing QA. Like, <laughs> I, I in fact, it was probably one of the top things I did just to make sure that, especially in the early days, right, where like you got to always be testing and making sure that you know you can replicate your results and that it, it's working and that you know there's not little bugs here and there and that when 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 someone you know either clicks something or you know is using the product that it functions as expected because if it's not then you know you're you're basically screwed at that point um and so yeah i totally get i totally get it and like i feel like um it's it's super important that that and i and I, i i think you highlighted a good point that sometimes qa is not um it's not sexy. Uh, people don't. Yeah, think it's about not. It. It's not a high enough priority for many people. Um, yeah, they don't but, realize that. Like, honestly, the QA department probably, at least at Go Ten, I'd say the QA department's probably the most important department. Like, they were <laughs> they were gods, and like they automated everything, and they did like the moment we really hired some good people there, and actually a department focused on it, it just made everything go so much better. Like, because like you also can't QA yourself as a developer. Like, that's that's impossible. Like, like I mean, you can do some unit tests right. at best, but you need somebody else that's telling you, hey, this doesn't work. This does work. And especially if you're doing hardware or something like that, where like again, we had an app, we had networking layers, we had hardware, we had all these different pieces. Where like, if any one little thing got knocked out of out of order, it would stop working. And then the question is, is like, where in this like you know six different engineering stack? system did this thing break so a lot you know being able to like 
turn everything into automated tests. And, you know, that was like the key for us to actually like really take our product from was really kind of a generation one janky, just pulling it off by the skin of our teeth with a a lot of, you know, luck and sweat to, you know, actually like a reliable, repeatable product that we can like count on people, you know, putting their lives on it. Cause that was a lot of pressure too, you know, like people were using our products for potentially life and death situations. So mm-hmm. we really, you know, I'm, I'm still scared looking back at how long we did not have a QA department. I was like, I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. And it's like one of those things where I look at, it, I'm like, Oh my God, you could have, <laughs> we shouldn't be in business. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to I want to I want to jump back a little bit because you you mentioned um how people use the product in, in potentially life and death situations. When you when you had first come up with the idea, right? When you you were talking about you were going to music festivals and couldn't find your friends, like how how did how did the idea for the business I guess evolve and how quickly did that happen? Um you know, how, so, I, yeah, how quickly did that happen? It was always part of the business plan. So Yes, the idea originally came just because I wanted it for music festivals. But I also, you know, you, you do the math, right? You try to size out the market, see what's going on. And like, I, I, I tried it. I was like, oh, I wonder what the festival market might be like. And it's just, it's not that big. And I could already see that like, you know, AT&T and all these other providers were getting better at it. So, you know, we I started just thinking about, all right, what fundamentally am I creating here? It's like I'm creating a radio system. So I just looked at the analogs in the market and I said, okay, what is the rate, what does like the radio market look like? And yes, you know, you have the people with the little, you know, Motorola walkabouts or whatever, you know, that's maybe kind of the closest analog to, you know, the, you know, kind of like, you know, music festival type thing. But the overwhelmingly huge side of that market, because that's like a multi-billion dollar market, I forget how it is, but I think it's like $64 billion a year or something like that, is really in the public safety and military space. So, you know, looking at that, we're like, hey, look, if we're creating something useful here, you know, like, hey, it's not just friends that need to find themselves and communicate, them, you know, in a festival. And like, that's just that's just core communications. You know, like, why wouldn't a you know police department or a you know army team or something like that need this, too? So we actually always had that plan. It was always step one is create something that's kind of simple and you know bare bones and just gets the job done for the consumer market which is usually a little bit more forgiving than the you know kind of the professional you know government military type space and the idea was to basically get it out there get the kinks out you know refine it polish it you know just make it something much more refined and then once we have that maturity we then actually move into you know creating like the more professional space and that's actually what the company does now like we still have our consumer product and we sell it, you know, at REI, Amazon and all that kind of stuff, you know, all the time. But by far, you know, the majority of our business now is really in the um, in the government space. How would you say the, the uh, on the consumer end that people are using it? What have you seen uh, from your consumers? Yeah. So we have like a bunch of different like kind of like it's all niche. You know, it's not like mass market, quite honestly. Like there's you know, there's a lot of people that use it for like hiking. I'd say hiking yep. is probably the biggest. That was kind the of first really- thing that came to mind when I saw the product. <laughs> yeah, like skiing, like you know, recreational type stuff. Um, we also have like, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's just like a vocal minority because they're really, really passionate. So I don't, I don't actually know the breakdown of this, but we have a very, very, very um, passionate group of people that are into it more from like a 
from a decentralization perspective, you know, like there's a lot of people that like believe, you know, kind of like a lot of like overlaps with like the people that are into like, you know, cryptocurrencies and mm -hmm. decentralized systems and like, you know, kind of getting away from government control and centralized, you know, set, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we actually have like, a lot of people that are kind of in like the prepper community, a lot of people like that Doomsday are also preppers. They're, I yes. watched that show. <laughs> it's yeah, we have, we, have, we have a very healthy doomsday prepper market. We also have, um, yeah, just like a lot of people that are just like into it, not necessarily from a doomsday perspective, but from like a moral drive, like they want to have, you know, kind of this people powered, you know, uh, network that, you know, isn't, you know, controlled by anyone. And, you know, it's a lot of, yeah, so like disaster preparedness. So like we have a lot of that and a lot of the outdoor kind of hiking recreation type people on the consumer side. Cool. So I want to talk uh, now about hardware companies. Uh, we, we've obviously been talking about Gotenna, but more in the general sense, not only because hardware is, is a much more complex business to build, as I alluded to earlier, than just software, yeah. uh, but it's also sometimes harder to get investors to invest in it because it is yeah. it requires more money. It's a bit more challenging and 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 you know dangerous from a potential investor yeah. perspective um if someone you know if someone has this has an idea or is going out there or just you know whatever or just what or is looking to raise money for a for their business and they want to build some hardware what should they know what should they be able to answer from investors from like any questions they may have what are they going to ask yeah. that's a great question so it's hard it's really hard to get invested um, <laughs> as a hardware company. Because like, I would say the number one question you're gonna get, which is so hard to answer for most people, thankfully we had a really good answer for it, but the number one question you're gonna get from an investor if you're creating a piece of hardware is, what is stopping anyone from ripping you off? Is basically their question. You know, like so that's- Someone in that's, China. Potentially, yeah, someone industry. in China, in China, like if it's like a cool idea or something, like why couldn't just Google or Apple do it better? You know, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> like and that's, that's a really hard question to ask. You're like, you're like, uh, thankfully, our answer was that look, we were hardware with a network effect, right? We had, we weren't just hardware, we also had our own networking layer and we had our own, you know, patented, really, really advanced, you know, you know, we created an entire new kind of mesh protocol that is actually scientifically the most energy efficient, you know, and, uh, you know, routing protocol in the world. We have like some like white papers out on it and whatnot. And because we have that, we're basically hardware with a network effect, right? Like if somebody were to, you know, try to rip us off precisely, they wouldn't have the same protocol and they wouldn't be able to communicate. So like the more people that have Gotenna, the more it makes sense for you to just have more Gotennas, not buy the faux Tenna. So, right. Right. That was really kind of our protection. It was like, one is like, hey, we have this network effect. And two, we already came in at such a low price. And honestly, at times, I feel like we've maybe had our prices a little too low. Um, but like having, we didn't really leave any space in the market for someone to really undercut us. And because it's such a difficult project that had so much development, like go into it, it's just really, really, really hard to rip off. There was just a lot of core hard science R&D that went into this. Now, could, again, you know, some big, you know, you know, kind of almost defense contractor potentially do something similar to us? Yeah, but I would always say, like, look, at that point, 
why would they, right? Like it would cost them so much money to like, you know, try to like come up from behind and develop something that's like a ripoff of us. Like they'd probably be more likely to just buy us instead. And that's usually what Exactly. And at that point also, that means there's a business for, you know, so that also helps, I would assume. So (laughs) I'd say that's the question you have to be ready for from an investor, which is like, what, like, you know, what is this thing that you're doing and how is it, something that like you know the moment you like is it just a good idea the moments that you just had the first good idea and then someone's just going to fast follow you because if it's not really defensible in some way and it's just something that's like a trinket or whatever with like a little bit and it has like real value to it you're probably going to get you know kind of gobbled up in some way so that's probably the question you're going to get that's the one you have to be ready to answer in some way yeah no, I, I think I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and like, and you definitely need you know you do need an answer for that, and I think the the best answer, you know, it just really depends on the business I I would imagine, but uh, it's certainly something you need to spend some time thinking about and uh, to come up with a response if you're looking for investors, because I'd imagine if you didn't have that answer, that wouldn't really bode well. Uh, for you exactly I think they, and, and then but you look I mean, a lot of the questions are the same as any I mean look you're gonna get that question if you have a software company too That's you know yeah like, absolutely you're gonna get that kind of whenever I mean but a lot of times the answers are like a lot of times again in software you have those network effects because you know you've got a bunch of users signed up or whatever it is and that's usually the answer so like making sure your hardware or something has some kind of like stickiness to it some kind of community or something so that it's not just an object but it's a Again, it's a community in some way. Something that draws it together is usually, you know, a, a smart thing you can kind of put in there. But yeah, that's, I mean, if you if you all. just if you just look at a very recent example of what we're talking about, where Lululemon just acquired Mirror, uh, uh-huh. the the uh, the exercise mirror that you put in your house oh, cool. and you can work out with. Yes, yeah, and I, and and part of it has to do with I think them having a, a way to have recurring kind of revenue come in. And also uh, to differentiate from, you know, from like uh, Peloton, which could get into an athletic type of line. So you definitely always want to, uh, to you know, to have ways to, to do that, right? So it, it, I think that's super important. I agree. Yeah. Now, if I want to, I want to talk quickly about pricing because I, I know you mentioned that because I always like to talk to other founders about pricing. It's 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 sure. one of the, my my fascinations with in terms of how 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 they come up with their price points. I was talking to Larry uh, Gadia from the co-founder uh, uh, the founder of um, uh, what what is he? oh Envoy. I couldn't remember the name of the company for a second. Uh, they're in all yeah. the offices and things like that, you know. Uh, and he was telling me basically he's like, you know, we really didn't have an approach to price, and this is on on his episode. We really didn't have an approach. Uh, we kind of just listed a price, and then we kind of kept raising it <laughs> to see if people would still pay uh, for it. And uh, that's kind of how we got to where we are now. I'm curious about how, how you kind of thought about it. Yeah, so for... Especially from a hardware's perspective. Yeah, so, like, there's a certain, like... So, like, for hardware, you've got at least... You know, you've got cost of sales, right? You've got, like, real... You know, you've got your you know your bill of materials, you've got your packaging, you've got your shipping, you got all that like landed cost. What's it going to cost you to get your product into someone's hands? So that's like your floor. So at the very least, you have like a floor that you can't sell under. And then usually, you know, there's kind of these rules of thumb of like 
what you're expected to kind of make on hardware. And I don't know where these rules come from. I don't, again, they're more like guidelines like anything else. But usually for hardware, you want, you know, kind of like the minimum, because I feel like investors know that people are going to start worried if you don't, is usually about 3x is like, I think if I remember correctly, that's kind of the number is like, you know, if you're spending, you know, 50 bucks to make the product, you should be selling it for 150. You know, like that's usually what it kind of looks like. I'm not saying everyone sticks to that. I don't even remember what our costs are. I don't remember if that's what ours was. But, you know, like that's that's usually kind of where you land. But I also think that you have to look into the market and see, you know, kind of like market-based pricing. It's not just, okay, just get a number and, and multiply because you could be leaving a lot of stuff on the ground. And, you know, that's, you know, like, for example, like I don't think there's any analog. We don't really have any competitor to Gotenna. There's been a few, like, kind of random knockoff Chinese companies that have like totally even like ripped off our name. It was like Gotoki or whatnot was like one. And, like I don't know. Like they never actually shipped any products, but like there have been like those kind of try to copycat things that came out, but they never really got anything done. I think mostly because it's really really hard to do this kind of product, and Gotenna works really really well. So you know, I always kind of thought like, look, man, we're the only ones in the market. You know, look at you know, I saw you know, I was looking at something that Garmin was selling. It's this big GPS texty thing. It was kind of probably the most similar thing to what we had. It was called like a Garmin Rhino. Thing is like a brick and it costs like $900 or something crazy like that. And it's, you, know, you can't really text on it really well. It's got like, cause it's all like little arrows. It's almost like you're back in like, you know, like the Nokia phone days of like 1994. And it's terrible. Honestly, I think it's a terrible, it's, I mean, it's, it was, it's an old product. You know, it doesn't have the whole smartphone thing that we have. And it was so expensive. And I was always like, man, we should like price closer to that. But I don't know. I never really won that, you know, that particular, particular argument. So I felt like, I felt like, you know, for the value of what we do, we could have gone a little bit higher, but it's just hard to tell. And unlike your friend who said, oh yeah, we just had this price and we kept on raising it to see if people would buy it. I don't know. I feel like I would be open to that, but you know, especially once you have like a company with like a lot of investors and whatever, it's not just, you know, as a founder, as I'm sure you know, like, it's not really your decision <laughs> yeah. all the time. You're talking to the board, you're talking to all these other people, and it's, it's always ends up being kind of a democratic, can we go this way or that way? And, you know, we are trying to, like, you know, get a lot of those units out there because, you know, the more we have that network out there, the more value there is. So right. we always have to balance. True. We Especially always have to balance. Your network effect, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that that's kind of where we priced it. We priced it, and, like, I'd say on, like, the on the government side, we definitely did that a little bit more. Um, we didn't like try to just stick to like some multiple number. Um, we just we also just knew like, look, the mark that government market can pay a lot more, and we're providing them a ton of value. And like the and like their competitor radio systems are like twenty thousand dollars a radio. So we're like, all right, I think we can charge them like eight hundred bucks or so, and they'll probably still be pretty happy. And they have been. So, but you know, even then, especially in hardware, kind of the big challenge is to oh, to remember another question actually that investors might ask is, what's your recurring revenue model? That is a difficult one for hardware. Like, because like, yeah. they want to know, are you going to, so sorry, I'm not, to go back to that old question. So that's no, the other one. Really, go right ahead. Is, yeah, it's like, how are you not going to be ripped off and how are you going to keep making money after people buy one of these? And that's again, where, you know, you have to like, be able to tell some story, whether it's, you know, ancillary software services, which we do, or, you know, having, you know, new upgrades and new features so that people want to like buy new ones. And kind of our answer in that space was that 
because our radios were so cheap and kind of around the same price as a phone, and since phones basically get like replaced every two to three years, we essentially would be kind of matching up with the kind of that replacement cycle as well with like new upgrades and, you know, just like when a phone comes out with like, you know, X, you know, X, Y, Z new features, we're doing the exact same thing so that, Mm -hmm. you know, like our customers can kind of, because it's so low cost, particularly for the budgets that we're working with, like for them, it doesn't even make sense to like try to have this like thing that's being repaired and, you know, they stay with for like 15 years. It's almost kind of disposable. Right. Right. I get what you're saying. And and that, that's always, that's always a good model. It's like the Apple model. (laughs) It is the Apple. I mean, I feel a little guilty about it sometimes, but, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, like Tile, Apple, a lot of those things. It's just like, you know, you just if you keep on making it better and, you know, you keep the price point at a point where it's like it's valuable, but it's not precious, right? It's valuable, but it's not precious. Then, you know, that's, again, particularly in our, in our kind of our government market, then they can use it. They can beat it up, you know, because, again, you know, these are like, you know, special forces teams and whatever. They might lose it. They might break it. They might whatever doesn't really matter and they can just buy a new one mm-hmm. and that's actually how it actually ended up being and you know thankfully that uh that theory bowed out to be true yeah yeah so let, let's let's shift gears a little bit let's talk about uh the the pandemic environment um f- for a little bit i want to talk about first about obviously there are a lot of people who are currently unemployed or and or i guess i should say unsure about when or where they'll be able to work again if if you uh, were you know speaking to someone uh, who was unemployed or, or and looking uh, what would and you had all this time because of the, the pandemic what would you be spending your time on uh, what oh, do you think would be answer. beneficial to do easy answer on that one I've been thinking about it a lot because like honestly I feel really idled myself sometimes you know like mm-hmm. especially with like, my you know my art sec all my arts side of my life kind of frozen like. I guess I'm self-employed, but I feel unemployed sometimes. <laughs> Fun employed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's stressful. I mean, especially for someone who's kind of a neurotic workaholic like me, like I don't, I, I, I get like, I get anxiety if I'm not like trying to move forward. And I'd say that, you know, what I've been doing is get new skills. This is the time to do it. You know, like I just because, again, I do hardware stuff. I do physical things, whether it's art or, you know, tech. You know, what I found is like, yes, I have a lot of great ideas and I can pull people, I can synthesize people together really well and provide that product leadership. But I'm always like, I've always been dependent on other people with more, call it hard skills to like bring my ideas to light. And I hate that, you know, it slows me down. It's expensive, you know, like. I feel the same way, to be honest. I'm in, I'm in a very similar boat and maybe uh, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this advice, but (laughs) right now. So, so, so what I did is like, I just took a, I took an online course and like, I learned to do very basic 3d design modeling in Rhino. Cause like, I just wanted to learn how to do this. And then funny enough, like I immediately started using it for like doing layouts for some of my like, you know, entertainment events. I started creating like a little trinket or something for like an enhancement that I need to make. And like, I have another little product that I little kind of consumer product I'm not telling anyone about yet, but like another side project I'm going to start soon in hardware again, because clearly I don't learn my own lesson. Um, (laughs) But like, but like now I can do it myself, right? Or I can at least get it, like get my idea out, communicate it to someone and then great. And now look, for somebody who's like unemployed, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, hey, you're starting your own projects again. But like, this is a great time to pick up those skills, you know, like learn how to do some graphic design from home or learn about, you know, web, you know, analytics or learn to code or, 
do something, right? Like, like if you're like, there's so many free or very inexpensive educational schools on educational options online right now. And like, the truth is, is that look, a lot of the employment issues right now are not just because of coronavirus. It's just, you know, there's that increasing trend of, you know, a lot of jobs are changing and are being lost. And, you know, you need to be ready to re to respond to that. So like, and the best thing would be is like, look, you know, you can either just try to find something like, Hey, what are some of the most in demand skills? I actually was doing another interview and I told people like, look, you want to guarantee yourself a job, go study QA engineering. Cause no <laughs> one studies that and everyone needs it. I don't think I've ever seen an unemployed QA engineer. Cause like it's, it, I mean, it's, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to do it. It seems a little bit like repetitive, but yeah, I get like, that. <laughs> you know, there's, there's certain jobs out there where like, you know, if you really want to guarantee yourself something and you study it specifically for the purposes of that job, like, you know, you can, you can do that. And so that would be my advice is, uh, try to do some education stuff. And again, there's Khan Academy, there's Udemy, there's also like, I paid like $25 for my, you know, my three design course. I haven't even really finished it. Theoretically, if I like practiced a lot and like really took it super seriously as opposed to just like, I just want to kind of baseline skills so I could get my brain, what I think in my head out to others. But theoretically, if I like practiced and worked on it over these few months, like who knows, like I could then go on like Upwork, I can start doing freelance work, I can start doing all sorts of little things for others. Yeah. Um, on a There's definitely basis. a lot of opportunity, you know, when you when you have a new skill set, and especially like, when you when you when you learn a new skill set and then you want to apply it to work to build up like a portfolio of sorts there's lots of ways you can do that online now everyone's people are always out there looking for people to do pro little projects and things like that and if you can build up a portfolio that that's super beneficial uh as well you know something you can show off like you were talking about to other people yeah yeah it's amazing look as long as you got a laptop and the internet like and you have the desire and the you know and like you you know you educate you go out there and do it like you can get something going and and at the end of the day it's also just makes you just a more well-rounded person like look maybe mm -hmm. you end up just doing a bunch of 3d design stuff but you know what you really want to do is go into marketing or something like it's still something you add to your resume and be like oh by the way i also do a bunch of like really cool web design and whatnot but i just do that on the side it just shows you know if i was hiring someone you know it just makes you more well-rounded and be like, Oh, maybe, you know, this is somebody who can help, you know, do little things like this. Like I remember like my 10th grade computer graphics course, like to this day, it's probably the most valuable class I ever had. <laughs> through college, <laughs> I still never, Cause like, even though I only had really basic Photoshop skills, like it was great for, you know, when we were doing like website design, like I just do like, I could annotate things. I could almost like just it, look, it looked terrible. Like it wasn't good. But it was enough for me to, you know, communicate it to, you know, someone who was an actual expert in this area. So that's something I really think is important is like, you know, getting some like, you know, especially in today's day, having some basic, you know, computer design skills, doing, you know, maybe learning again some web design type stuff or whatever it might be or, you know, whatever your passion might be or whatever your curiosity is. That's I think that's the answer. It's like you've got there's no excuse to not learn something right now. Agreed. All right. I want to go on to talk about your art and Burning Man before we get to the lightning round. So this is the last sure. uh, this is the last topic we're going to talk about for today. But so you, you've been to Burning Man. How how many times have you been? Have you been there? I have only I only went to my first Burning Man in 2018, and it was okay. a life changing okay. experience. And then basically, yeah, just a few months after that first experience, I left Gotenna and fully dedicated myself to building the cloud. 
So the the life changing it happened at Burning Man. Uh, what uh, what 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 changed uh, for you? What and what how did how did the the uh, event help that? Because I know a lot of people who talk about Burning yeah, Man. I've never been, that. so I, I I can't I I can't relate on that on that on that front. But I'm curious because I've heard a lot of a lot of people talk about it, and 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 I'm curious. Yeah, it's it's hard to really. God, it's super, like, we'd have to have, like, another, like, hour or two to, like, really talk <laughs> about it. But, like, look, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I, it it put things in perspective for me, you know, like, it's just this really special place where it's not commercial, it's built around, like, gifting and people creating for others and, and all around, and it's just like this, it's, I don't know, there's something almost, like, detoxifying about it, and, you know, there's the... It's just it's just this wellspring of creativity and people making stuff and like it's just I, it just kind of reminded me like like I kind of in my last year at Gotenna or so last year and a half because the products were all basically more or less done at that point and I kind of had transitioned to into more of like a salesy type role because you know I was the product designer like who else who better to sell it than the person who knows like every little bit of it right mm-hmm. and. I couldn't tell, but it wasn't until I went to Burning Man that I realized, like, I wasn't very happy anymore. Like, that's kind of, like, the realization I made. It was, like, I was, uh, let's just call it, I was not sober in the middle of the desert, and I had one of those, like, little journeys into myself, and I just realized that, like, something was missing, and it kind of had this epiphany where I realized that, like, you know, what I, like, I'm a builder. I'm an inventor. I'm a, you know, kind of... Yeah, I'm a guy who likes to you know tinker with stuff. I was, yeah, I was just gonna say a tinker. Yeah, yeah, That's, and like, yeah. and if I'm not doing that, like, if I'm just like you know giving you know PowerPoint presentations about you know kind of the same PowerPoint presentation over and over and over again, which is kind of where I was you know near the end there, it's I, I was just losing motivation, and I knew I had to kind of make a change. But so I kind of came out of there being like, I need to make I need to make a change. And like I started maybe looking into a potential spin-off product from Gotenna. I was actually talking to the board about it. You know, something to kind of get me re-engaged again. And then um, yeah, like this idea came to me to basically create this the fluffy cloud, which is a circular elevated concert space. So it's a uh, 30 it's 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide. It kind of looks like a UFO with four legs. We're gonna have and... to include a picture of it in the in in the post where we share this because so everyone can see it but it's very very cool looking <laughs> and so and basically the idea like i had been to so, and again it also came from like a problem perspective right like i'm always kind of i always think products come from trying to solve problems and i'm maybe i'm a little bit of a critic all the time but i'm like oh this isn't good this could be better and after having gone to music and different kinds of entertainment events for so long so my god i can't thousands i don't know hundreds for sure um I, even at Burning Man, I had this realization where, like, as great as and creative as everything was, and all these crazy art cars and stages and different things going on, they all kind of felt the same to me. They were all like, fine, you might have like this one bus that looks like a giant dragon, or this other bus that looks like a, you know, like a, I don't know, an octopus or something like that, and they're all playing music and rolling around. At the end of the day, they're kind of the same thing. It's just a bus with speakers and like a slightly different decor. And, I just felt like something new could be done and I wanted to create something where what I didn't like is I'd be in the crowd with people, even with my good friends, and we'd be like looking at the back of each other's heads. And I'm like, I'm here enjoying, you know, this concert with, you know, Mark, Rebecca and Bob or whatever. And we're not even like talking to each other. 
you know, we're not looking at each other. We're not like even really interacting with each other. We're just kind of, it's almost like we're watching TV. You know, we're all just kind of lined up staring at a stranger in front of us. And as I was kind of like trying to like think about that, I was like, man, I wish there was like something more. I kind of started thinking about, you know, when people are kind of in live concerts, sometimes you get in that little circle where you're dancing with each other. I'm like, how can I create a space where people are more engaged with each other and it's more kind of person to person, you know, connection. And then, yeah, it's, as I was kind of just thinking about that, it came to me that if I could create this sort of like elevated circular, you know, concert, you know, entertainment type experience, that could be something really, really special. And I said, you know, and I say that as a fan, right? Just like when I made Gotenna, I was creating a product for me. I was like, hey, I would love to have a Gotenna. It'd be awesome. I kind of thought of it the same way here. I was like, man, that would be awesome if that existed. And then I kind of think of, man, if I think this would be awesome, I'm pretty sure other people would too. And as I started, you know, then I ran it through my friends, you know, just like any other kind of almost startup idea, like you run it by other people and, you know, do people get excited? Do they think it's really cool? Do they, you know, do they think that this is like something that could be amazing? They, they, they did, you know, the same thing that happened with Gotenna. Like, you know, before I did anything else, I ran it by people. And like when people get really excited and you're kind of getting this near universal response, even when you potentially go to people that are critics, you know, like that's a very important thing. Don't just go to your friends, go to people that have a, a reason or have no reason to, you know, sugarcoat it for you. Yeah, That's yeah. when I realized I had some, I had another, I maybe had another kind of lightning strike idea. And, you know, so and would I, you say you're two for two at this point? <laughs> I feel pretty. Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, like at Gotenna, I created four, four flat, well, 10 total products. Um, but I'd say four or five flagship products. So like, and they were pretty different from each other as well. And then, but yeah, as like, as like, a, as like, a, as an endeavor. Yeah, I feel pretty good for two for two on this one. Um, and, and again, like I just knew that I could do it too, because a lot of the experiences that came from doing Gotenna, you know, transferred to doing this kind of major scale art project, right? Like, you know, I had to do stuff like supply chain. I had to do QA. I had to do RFPs with different kinds of vendors for sound and light and, you know, all these different kinds of things. Funny enough, you know, even the sound design is very similar in terms of like, you know, wave theory as electromagnetics. It's all waves, you know, like I have to talk about ground planes, but this time for subwoofers as opposed to for radios. So a lot of like those skills kind of, you know, trans, you know, transferred and it allowed me to be pretty efficient in, you know, creating that project. And, you know, and like, there's all the little things too, like that, you know, I always, you know, I was always thinking about packaging, like who thinks of packaging normally a hardware guy, you know, like I wasn't just being like, Oh, I want to make this gigantic, you know, cloud thing. I also know like, Hey, look, if this thing's going to be self-sustaining as an art piece and something I can work on for a long time, you know, it needs to be able to like, you know, transport from one city to another and like tour and whatever, which means that it needs to like fit into containers in a way that makes sense. You know, otherwise it's too expensive for ground shipping costs. Those are all things you usually think of in the context of like, you know, you're packaging your thing to go on a shelf store on a store shelf. Like I had to have this, like those same questions kind of come up with whatever you're doing, whether it's a, again, a, a product in your pocket or, you know, a gigantic UFO. Yeah. I, I definitely want to include a image of the, of the fluffy cloud. Uh, when we when we put the post up with the with the podcast because it's it's really cool to look at. We'll also link to the website. Um, it's a very cool. Th so uh, talk before before we get to the later round. Talk a little bit about the the sound element of it because it's three hundred sixty degree sound and uh, and also video, right? Yeah. Well, no. Well, so yeah. So it's got light. So it has a so the entire light, that's so what I meant. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the UFO, so you picture the UFO the kind of tight, fluffy exterior. There's 33,000 LEDs embedded into that skin that we then you know, like map out, you know, sound reactive, you know, fractal patterns and different things like that. And then inside of that structure, uh, underneath, because you can fit about 30 people inside of it too. So it's like, it's like a double decker inside, so you can go inside this thing and hang out up there. And a lot of times the DJ booth is up there, but and then. The sound system itself, that was also like an unprecedented project because no one had really done this before. And it's basically, you know, 60,000 watts of Hennessy speakers with, we have like six subwoofers like kind of shooting downwards. Like no one has really ever done that before because it was the only way to create like a smooth, high quality sound, you know, sound realm. And again, you know, I had proposals from like seven different vendors did a whole RFP thing. And again, there was this part where like I treated them all as antennas. Everyone was saying like, oh, we can just do four subwoofers you know pointed out at 360 and we can just time them with each other and they'll be okay and i didn't really believe i didn't really like any of those proposals because i knew that no amount of timing is going to fix that like if you have three antennas if you have radios you can try to like get them to not interfere with each other but at the end of the day they will which means you're going to lose quality so like it was funny it was like i a lot of that radio experience came here and essentially you know, I had one proposal from these very, very creative developers, the people at Hennessy in Boston, and they came back and said, hey, look, we're just going to make one system pointed downwards. And that way we basically couple with the earth and it all kind of just spreads out like almost like in a reverse T shape. And you have nothing that's really because you're one single source. You don't have anything interfering with each other. I'm like, that actually makes a ton of sense from an electromagnetic perspective. And they won the contract. Very cool. So. Uh, so this was this was a ton of fun. I feel like we didn't even get to talk about all the stuff that I wanted to. Uh, we might have <laughs> to have you back. And there's obviously a lot more that we can talk about. But it is now sure. time for the lightning round. So okay. whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. Okay. Is this isn't like one of those where like you're going to know all my psychological thoughts because of it, right? It's no. like, you know, what's the no. it's like, say the word that comes to your mind. You're like pizza. And I'm just like, say something totally weird. I'm like Tyrannosaurus. You're like, wow, this guy's got problems. <laughs> not, not, not quite like that. I think we'll be okay. All uh, right. All right. First, first question. If you could acquire one skill without any effort, what would it be? Ooh, wow. Uh, one skill without any effort. I would love to know how to do really great um, music production. Nice. What's your favorite artist or band? Uh, Township Rebellion. It's I've a DJ. It's a or... DJ duo from uh, from Germany. Okay, I'm gonna have to check them out. If animals could talk, which one would be the most annoying? Animals <laughs> <laughs> uh, would be the most annoying. It would. I kind of think about it honestly. It'd probably be dogs, actually, because they'd probably be so needy. Yeah, I, like I, I, I could see that. That's why I would just not talk to you. They'd be like, "I can talk to you, but I choose not to." I can't. You know? Yeah, I'm not going to talk like, to you right now. I'm going to talk to you on my own time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the number one thing on your bucket list? Uh, the number one thing on my bucket list. Ooh, um, God. Man, I've done a lot of stuff. I have a, I want to, I mean, I'm not, not going too far into it, but like my dream is I have kind of this idea for sort of this hyper immersive, um, theme park, like a, like a tech based, but very almost like a Westworld type thing, but you know, less scary, hopefully. 
<laughs> and I've been planning it for the last, almost like in, like for the last year or so in tandem for the cloud. And, you know, I kind of have to do one big project at a time, but I really want to create this like really, really kind of crazy special theme park uh, concept that I think will really blow people's minds. But I'm probably at least five years away from being able to, you know, dedicate time to that. That sounds really cool. And I'd love to talk more about that. <laughs> what last one? What's your favorite video streaming service? My favorite video streaming service. Um, watch that many. Oh yeah, I guess I don't know. Netflix or HBO, I suppose. That makes sense. All right, cool. Well, yeah. Georges, it's been a lot of fun having you on, and I really, uh, really appreciated uh, you spending some time with us. And the conversation was really great. And thanks again. If anyone uh, who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I um, a really easy way to contact me. I, I have my website. Um, it's just you know J O R G E Perdomo. I mean, it, it's spelled like Jorge. If anyone's confused, so it's just like basically like JorgePerdomo.com, uh, uh -huh. and then a contact page there. You can, you know, there's an easy way to email me there or, you know, yeah, I'm pretty accessible. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, you know, Instagram, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I actually just followed your Instagram and I think I followed you on Twitter a little earlier cool. as well. So uh, I'm excited yeah, I'm to see what you're working on. What you, I'm sorry? <laughs> Most never on Twitter, but yeah, just like email me <laughs> on my website. And like, I really, okay. you know, a lot of times, you know, I love helping people like as like an advisor sometimes, especially for like product design, they're like looking to do, you know, especially if they're trying to do hardware and whatnot. So I'm always very accessible and, you know, happy to help people out with whatever they're doing. Excellent. Well, again, it's been great having you on. I hope you have a great rest of your day and uh, hope to keep in touch. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Techie Bytes. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.